Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. The world needs more coaches like Stacy Torman. Stacy has built her career around sports performance, and even with the myriad of successes she has to choose from, she believes her greatest accomplishment has been making an impact on an athlete's life that extends beyond sport. Coach Torman is the Director of Athletic Performance for Olympic Sports at UAB and holds the title of Vice President for the CSCCA. A standout volleyball athlete at Texas A&M herself, Stacy is no stranger to the challenges faced by student athletes. Hear how she's refined her approach to training at the collegiate level and her success in collaborating with sport coaches. Her even-keeled demeanor and 25 years of experience arm her with a perfect balance of temperament and knowledge. It's no surprise that she's been a valuable fixture at UAB, changing the lives of so many young athletes over the course of her career. What's her secret to longevity in a field with notoriously high turnover? Find out now. This is episode 196. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? This is the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Tex McCulkin here joined with Callie, the full Hensman, <laughs> and our special guest, Stacy Torman. How are we doing, Stacy? Great. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Callie, it's been a long time. Uh, why don't yes. you update our listeners on what you're, what you're up to, uh, let them check in, and then we'll, we'll get right into our performance talks. What I'm up to, um, just, uh, I just lit myself a vanilla candle, so I'm ready to start this podcast. Um, still in Seattle. <laughs> um, let's see. Since you guys stopped coaching the CrossFit football seminars, I, uh, I, I actually received a call from Greg Glassman asking if I would take over the CrossFit football seminars. So that's what I've been doing. And when does that start for you? Every weekend, and what's the, what's amazing is they've all been selling out, and I've just been doing them weekend after weekend. I've had no problem with the with signups or anything. Or so. travel? How's the travel? <laughs> Travel's been phenomenal. Uh, no uh, issues with travel. Never any layoffs. Now, now I know you're lying. <laughs> um, so let's get right into it, Stacy. So I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and. Um, uh, the reason I reached out to you and wanted to connect is I'm interested kind of in your experience and any advice that you can give to a lot of the strength and conditioning coaches that are on that journey to really become a, a master in the biz and especially at the college level. So I'll hand it off to you. Go ahead and, and break us down. Well, I'm so thankful y'all asked me to, to do this. It's, um, it's exciting that y'all are taking this and, and just, you know, listening to some professionals that have, like you said, it's, it's that have been on the journey and that's my career has been a journey. I've only been at um, university of Alabama, Birmingham for 25 years. And that's the only place I've been. So um, that's where I've kind of drawn my experience from. But um, I was also a student athlete at Texas A&M played volleyball there and um, met a man named uh, Steve Javoric. I don't know if you've spoken to him at all. Coach pop is what we called him. And he, he mainly did track and field, but, he does a lot of the dumbbell complexes and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'd weight trained since I was probably in high school, since sophomore in high school, but he, he changed how my body responded to weight training. And so that really just sparked my, my interest and didn't know that even strength conditioning other than him uh, was even a profession at the time. And I was majoring in exercise physiology thinking I was going to be a PE teacher something like that. So 
Um, fast forward to about a year, I um, was going to start coaching volleyball and got a call from UAB, the volleyball coach. And she asked me, since I had a background in athletics and, and um, strength, uh, some strength and conditioning, she asked me if I would do train her volleyball team, but also coach the team. So when I went to, came to UAB, I was a graduate assistant um, doing both. And at one point, just um, nobody else was doing any of the other teams. So I uh, started training the tennises and the men's soccer and uh, basketball had their own, their own guy. But um, so I just, as, as more teams got to working out, we only had about 10 intercollegiate teams or maybe 12 at the time. So, um, so it was just me and, and all the athletes. And I just, fell in love with that part of it and just started transitioning into doing that more and um, doing less recruiting and that kind of thing and traveling. And, and fortunately the head coach, she was, she was on board with me and wanted me to do what I was passionate about. And, um, so I continued to train her team, but um, transitioned into doing strength and conditioning full time. And so when I got my master's degree, then I, I finally, um, they started paying me, <laughs> which is at the time that this was a long time ago. Uh, we had that restricted earnings coach, so I was making twelve thousand um, dollars for several years, um, just on on that journey and and making make trying to make ends meet, and had another job at the same time. And um, so after, oh, I'd say in nineteen ninety six when they started um, with Title IX kind of coming in the forefront, we added football. Um, we had to add more teams. So it was basically like me getting an, a brand new job every other year because we added uh, softball and women's soccer and synchronized swimming. And so it was, it was just me expanding my horizons and working with teams that I'd never worked with before. And so, um, so Stacy, therein lies my first question. I know you said you, you've worked with like 16 out of the 18 teams there. Mm -hmm. Was there two teams that you were just like, uh-uh, I don't want any part and yeah. <laughs> training uh, them? Well, no. I mean, synchronized swimming was, to me, it was more the challenge. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never, I don't swim, first of all, and, and they... Text, I think we should look into synchronized swimming as a... <laughs> You and I as competing. There you go. <laughs> well, I was going to ask if Stacy had these athletes synchronize weightlift in preparation of the demands of the sport. Specificity, <laughs> no, <is> it, right? Would they be in the water or not? Oh, sorry. Be in the water? I mean, is the sport specific if they're in the water, if they're land no, bases? That changes the color of the water, and then everyone knows. This is part of our, and I'm sure you hear this joke all the time too. People are like, sports specific training. I'm like, if it involves barbells in the weight room and they're swimmers, it's probably not sport specific if it's in the weight room. That's pretty so, difficult. <laughs> yeah, pretty accurate. You're like, ugh. But I digress. And we digress, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a challenge. It's, you know, the movements that they do are, are just very different than any sport that I will ever work with or have ever worked with. So, um, and to their to their credit they were one of my hardest working teams very punctual very just disciplined um we worked out very early in the morning just like most swimmers do and um it, it was a pleasure to work with them they became ranked like uh, number third in the nation um, ohio state you know kind of reigns over that sport but they um they took how many synchronized 
How many synchronized swimming teams are there really though? There's oh, gotta be like four. Yeah. Now, now because it was an emerging sport and it never hit 40. So they, they had, oh. to, that's why we cut it. So, Oh yeah. It's kind of unfortunate. There's still a national and an Olympic team, but oh, some young Alabama, yeah. Alabama <laughs> female who wanted to be a synchronized swimmer will never be able to achieve that dream. <laughs> Ironically, I actually went to school with uh, with girls that were synchronized swimmers. Actually, in the dorms my freshman year at Berkeley, uh, there were two girls that were synchronized swimmers that were training for the Olympics. The Olympics. Yeah. Like they're uh, like like it was a weird thing. Like they um, their ground based training was like, like gymnastics. They ran like these girls. Like uh, like I remember talking to them once. I'm like, what are you guys training for? Like, oh, we're synchronized swimmers. We're training for the Olympics. I didn't know what these girls were training for. I thought they were training for like a death race. Yeah, they were deciding on like blueberry and uh like we're like literally like ran, trained, like I mean uh, like their training was phenomenal and I'm like, How how long are you guys in the pool? They're like, Oh, we're in the pool like six to eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, When? They're like, Oh, it's four hours in the morning. We start at four to eight AM and then we train and we go to school and then we go back at like seven o'clock at night until eleven o'clock. I mean, it was in um, the amount of work that those girls did. I mean, I, I and you know, we kind of scoffed. I was like, Oh, synchronized swimming and then uh, when they started explaining what they did, I'm like Mm-hmm. so wait a minute you guys hold your breath underwater while you're doing basically ballet gymnastics underwater synchronized i'm like how do they even judge that like that was my other one it's like how did they effectively judge that <laughs> yeah. i was like are there people in the pool i mean are there cameras like how do they yeah, do it and, um, uh-huh. yeah it's uh it's intense i mean but i i think this the, the country that dominates it the most is uh, usually the eastern european countries mm-hmm. and uh, and i know it's big in china and some of the other school uh, other, North, other north korea <laughs> but Stacy, I know a lot of I know a lot of strength and conditioning coaches get into this training their sports just like you did. But then you started to take on all these sports, like you said, synchronized swimming, in which you had no experience. So, what was your approach to then taking on these teams? And how did you learn about the sport or learn about movement? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it was talk to the coaches because, uh, especially with soccer, I. Had, we didn't have soccer in Minnesota where I grew up for boys or girls. So at the time, so it was really just um, constantly picking their brains. Um, obviously, a lot of reading and researching, especially synchronized swimming was hard because there uh, wasn't a lot of research. There, you know, there just weren't any college teams to, to talk to about it. So I actually called, um, actually I had one of my graduate assistants, Scott Sharland. He called uh, Donald Chu, who wrote the book on plyometrics. And apparently he was coaching the national team at the time for some reason. And um, so he called him and just picked his brain and we just, you know, kind of focused on the things that he, he prescribed for us and uh, the tennis and, you know, kind of some of those sports that are, were similar to volleyball. I kind of used my experience with volleyball and, and the movements and that kind of thing. And really just, you know, we didn't have internet at the time. So it was more just reading and <laughs> I just showed my age there. Sorry. <laughs> um, reading and researching and articles. And, and you didn't really call coaches at the time either. You know, everything was pretty much top secret, you know, back in the eighties, nobody shared, shared information like they do now. And everybody's a lot more free about, you know, sharing you know, anything and everything that they have to just to make all athletes better. So how have times changed? Like besides the internet, are you now an open book to, to share your training techniques or other coaches that way, or are you still kind of 
experienced a lot of hard, hard minded coaches out there. Yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, I've done a lot of, um, um, maybe not really podcasts, but just probably monthly. We, our staff does a, a phone call or a Skype just discussion basically with another staff at a school or we actually just had a, a local gym owner come in and, and spent about two hours with us just teaching us kettlebell swings and kettlebell deadlifts and Turkish get-ups and that kind of thing because um, he's he's an expert on it or he's you know that's what he does with his clients and so we and Stuart my education coordinator he Stuart Young he wanted to uh just bring him in and, and glean from him because he, I, I guess he had gone to one of his classes and, and he just had so many cues and, and different things that, that we weren't using that we could definitely utilize in, in teaching our student athletes because there's just so many things out there that you can't, you can't touch every athlete with every word. So, you know, one, one word for one athlete might mean one thing, where another one you might get them to, to do what, exactly what you want them to do and, and so he had a lot of good good um, progressions and regressions that, that he took us through which was was great so that we don't we're not we're teaching them but we're also you know not moving forward with them too quickly so that they're they're not learning you know the basics of every movement and and then he kind of took us through what you know, what's the next step after you get all these kettlebell exercises, you know, into front squats and back squats and that kind of thing. So, but yeah, so we, the, to answer your question, you know, we, we haven't found anybody who said, you know, yeah, I don't want to, we even talked to uh, Mike Boyle. He's was on for about 30 minutes with us um, in between some of his sessions and, and just, you know, kind of talked about his FMS preparations and that kind of thing. So, from the from the big dogs to the to the lowliest of, of strength coaches, you know everybody seems to be really willing to share, and that's been great. That's been our experience. I mean, we had Mike Boyle on, and um, you know I had read his thing about you know the death of the squat, and mm -hmm. really kind of didn't really agree with as much as his unilateral movement, and uh, you know mm -hmm. prioritizing over you know some bilateral hip hinging. And uh, we had him on the podcast, and uh, had a great <laughs> incredible podcast. I like, connected on so many levels, okay. and. Uh, you know, how he got to where he was with, you know, his philosophy was based off of dealing with injured athletes. And I had these mm -hmm. hockey players that couldn't do things. And so, you know, I'm making these, uh, you know, assumptions and a lot of my, you know, uh, training philosophies based off of what my guys can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you got to remember, I'm not dealing with, you know, 100% healthy guys. We're dealing with top end athletes that have, you know, injuries and we're trying to find a way for them to work at a high level mm -hmm. uh, around their you know, limitations. And um, I think, I had one misconception about him and I like, you know, really didn't like uh, the things that I'd read, but after we got off the podcast, I was like, dude, I would hang out with this yeah, guy. And more go aligned than not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We had discussion forums on our site, Stacy, and you hear people be like, like, like Boyle says this, what do you say? And like, I guess we diligence, I guess. And he, he does firm stand surface level on a lot of the, a lot of the stuff he writes. But then when you get back, you start, understanding contextually where does the philosophy come from mm -hmm. oh. guiding principles of overload of progression of movement through space and empowering performance it's like well we're speaking the same language uh, you know we just have different but as she said i mean here is uh you know 
the advent of the internet where, you know, not only can you not explain, you know, uh, you know, to people like there's, you know, more that goes into this because everything's so superficial. It's like trying to explain mm-hmm. some sarcasm or humor over the internet. You yeah. know, you type something, you try to be funny and people take offense. And you're like, no, 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 yeah. that's <laughs> not funny. I, uh, Is that- <laughs> I know, but oddly enough, uh, regardless, we can still get Kelly to laugh. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. that but, uh, it's hilarious. But like, that's, um, have you seen, I mean, what, what we've really seen with the internet with uh, so much available information is the rise of the internet coach where everybody's an expert. And right. unfortunately, um, you know, a wise man or kind of a wise man once said, you know, you fail, you fail, you fail at the margins of your experience. And mm-hmm. I think like, um, you know, with today's world, you can kind of sit back and, and either watch videos or read and kind of, you know, take these I guess you could say almost like a sterile point of view where, you know, people don't really know who you are and make a lot of claims where it just seems like, uh, you know, the practical knowledge of dealing with athletes over 25 years, you know, trumps that to me any day and actually seeing and working with people and, you know, taking them through the life cycle of, you know, let's say from a freshman into a senior or potentially into a you know professional type sport. Um, have you like, um, has anything really changed within, you know, with the advent of the internet or really, uh, you know, adjusted your coaching or has it just increased your circle and made people more approachable and easier to connect with? Yeah, I'd agree with you. Just the, the moment by moment, uh, experts in the field, you know, in a 30, 30 second little spiel on one exercise, you know, to claim that you're an expert on certain things, you know, it, it can become a little daunting, but, but I think, overall it's been a good experience you know especially the ones um that do the series of things like kelly starrett we've um gone through you know i one summer i went through all whatever 94 of his his things and just kind of it kind of let you get to know him and and it gave instead of watching just one and going oh i don't agree with that you know i got to see kind of his philosophy as he got to explain it more and more with each podcast and so that was good did you feel like you were more supple at the end of it? Oh, yes. <laughs> like a leopard. <laughs> uh, I've, I've known Kelly for, geez, almost like 10 years now. And I remember when he was telling me about the name of the book, The Supple Leopard. I was like, dude, it's a terrible name. He's like, no, no, no. And I always, I always kind of laugh at him. Uh, you know, joke. I'm like, so how, how do I get to be level 99 Supple Leopard? He's like, oh, it's going to take a so no it's uh uh but i mean his, you know his, his stuff like for him he really started that mobility project as he just wanted to offer you know one a day and it really just yeah. kind of really grew into something mm-hmm. and it was things <laughs> that he in his clinic daily and he was like his gym was in a conics box and he had like a uh like a little like weird almost like looked like a, a like a broom closet yeah. for a, an office and he was towards <laughs> a parking lot and like had like a you know six month wait for people to get in there and I remember being like uh, you know the facility doesn't matter the weights don't matter location doesn't matter people will find you if you're really good and uh, he was really a testament to that sorry I was gonna ask the question just because uh, I don't want to get too far removed from when you brought it up but you said that one of your coaches um, was very impactful on you your strength conditioning (laughs) coach and uh, that was a time where you felt you were I guess achieving the greatest results or the greatest performance uh, um, transfer. So I'm just curious, you know, looking back on that now with some knowledge and experience, um, was it the training itself? Was it the timing? Was it you as a, as a mature athlete? Uh, what were some of the big factors of that? And have you incorporated some of the same ideals in your own coaching? Yeah, I think, I think it was that um, not to discredit anything with, with um, A&M's 
program, but at the time, it, we, it was mostly graduate assistant football coaches that were doing our, our training and really just supervising what our coach wanted us to do. So um, I really, you know, we squatted and we did a lot of, um, uh, what's it called, the, the air pressure at the time. I forget the name of it, but was it kind of like Kaiser, but it was the, the um, pressure, air pressure machines, that kind of thing. So a little bit old school. Um, and so we didn't, um, do a lot of, a lot of periodization or it wasn't really a planned out workout. It was more like circuits and that kind of thing. So once I got with coach pop, um, it was, you know, because I played volleyball, it was very power oriented and he had, you know, he had a 12 week plan for me and, and I knew, I knew where I'd been, where I was going, where I was at the time and where I needed to get to. Um, and part, like part of your question was um, as far as where I was as an athlete. Um, I think that had a lot to do with it too. I had, had weight trained for so many years, you know, doing bench and squat and just kind of traditional stuff. This was kind of a shock to my body. Um, and but my, as far as like my vertical jump and I don't know that it was more sports specific. It just was more functional for me and, and the power and the, and the explosiveness that I needed to, to achieve. Mm. Um, and maturity wise, I was, I was, it was the summer before I was getting ready for my fifth year, which was my final year. And then I wanted, my goal was to play. I had a dream to play either for the national team or they had just started the professional league that year so in my mind you know I had I had bigger aspirations than just my senior year or my final year of college so maturity wise I was probably more motivated as well mm -hmm. but, but I'm sure that probably played a bigger part in it as well but that's a great question I'm curious kind of uh, just alluding back to our, our previous talk um, how have athletes changed? So all this information is readily available. So have they been in experienced high school programs? Are athletes coming in just because they're interested in this stuff and checking it out? So how's the athlete changed over the time you've been coaching? Yeah, I think it's really kind of um, sport by sport. You know, basketballs, footballs, obviously, they, they tend to come in with a little bit more experience. Um, I do men's soccer and women's soccer. Very few of them have touched a weight in their careers unless they played another sport. Um, volleyballs, um, usually they've done some sort of, um, they've been taught the Olympic lifts and that kind of thing, but maybe not, um, they've not been progressed into them. It's more just here's a power clean. It's going to give you power, so do it kind of thing. So, so we do a lot of correcting of, of bad habits with them, but tennis, you know, really I'd say probably 75% of the kids are not getting good experience in, in high schools as far as um, good programs. They may be taught exercises pretty well, but not really a good program that, that helps them get better. But, um, and you know, I thought a little bit about this as far, you know, we got had this generation of supposedly kids that are in front of the TV a lot more in front of the computer playing video games and that kind of thing. But kind of what I found is that the, the middle of the road athletes um, are 
coming in a little bit less prepared. They're, uh, we talked about being athletic. Um, they're, they're less athletic. They're, they've played their one sport for a lot of their career. And so they're, they're not as mobile as, as, you know, as they probably could be if they'd have trained, done multiple sports or done or trained differently. But I, I personally think that the elite athletes that are coming to, to UAB anyway, they're, um, they're, they're elite. Like they're, they come in prepared. They may not have lifted before, but they can tolerate a lot more force. They can, their, their bodies are just primed a little bit differently. And so they tend to make bigger gains when they come to college than the, the, the moderate athletes because moderate athletes, you know, They've got all that, their neuromuscular system's got to figure it all out. And it just takes them a little bit longer to, to adapt to a lot of things. So um, I have a high schooler and they, they aren't really in front of the TV, in front of the computer a lot, you know, as, as much as you might think they are. But, um, and again, that's just, just my experience with, with his generation anyway, he's 17, but um, but the college kids that come in, I think they're having that same experience. I think it just kind of boils down to the lack of, of multi-sport athletes and, um, and just not cons- uh, consistent programming with, within sports, really. You know, in the high schools, I think a lot of them are, like the PE teachers are teaching some things, but um, I just don't think it's, it's really caught on in the high high school other than you know football and basketball per se and again there's there's exceptions to every rule but that's kind of been my experience with our athletes anyway yeah volleyball I, I envision is just one of those one of those sports especially specializing so baseball volleyball those are those two youth mm-hmm. sports that I mean it's it's almost mm-hmm. the same repetitive motion over and over right. so mm-hmm. when you get those freshmen in there it's What's your approach to not only teach them how to lift, but also do you do any assessment to see Mm -hmm. if there's kind of past stuff that they don't even, um, they don't even realize has been going on? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. You said that word because that was the first word I thought of was we assess them. We, we do the FMS and, and I'm not saying that is the end all be all, but we do, we have something that we, we have, we can get a number from, we can just kind of find out what, what imbalances they're having and our staff has this conversation all the time you know like if you have a baseball player and I know y'all know about the FMS the shoulder mobility if you have a guy that's got a one three imbalance um, is that could that possibly be what makes him special you know or is it do we really need to get him to a three three or a two two you know so we kind of, we battle that a little bit, but we focus a little bit more on trends of, of um, with our FMS on per sport. Um, we're not quite, um, because we all have so many teams and athletes that we're working with, it's hard to specialize and take one athlete and say, you know, these are your specific exercises right now. So that's our goal. We want to get to that point so that every athlete has exactly what they need to work on. But but we definitely assess them and try to um, find out um, kind of where their starting point is. And then with the, um, 
we've got just recently in this last year, we've put together a kind of a, a standard sheet where we've got or standard groups where we've got kind of like Baylor does. I don't know if you know about that. They, he's got several groups, but we have our developmental group, which is our green group. And we have a white group and our gold group. And the gold group obviously is, is the elite, the ones that you're trying to get to. But we have standards as far as um, to get out of the white group. You basically have to just have all your techniques down with kettlebell front squats or front squat. or um, You have to be able to lift um, front squat, your body weight, or you know, just different standards that, so that we, can, we don't rush you out, even if it's your sophomore year before you get out of white. You know, it's just the way it is, and, and we'll, we'll take our time before we start building on you. So, so that's, that's a great approach, taking that, that life cycle to an athlete and making sure they're prepared to enter a program. Mm -hmm. I have had a conflict with a sport coach, and it was taking all freshmen and making sure that they were training with the rest of the team. So while uh, we went in with a plan to have them kind of go through their assessment and then progressions mm -hmm. and kind of earn the platform, the coach saw after one, two, three days, he said, nope, I need them with uh, the rest of the guys. Have you found a constructive way to communicate with sport coaches to kind of really either, I don't want to say push back, but kind of get the right way for the athlete in terms of their performance and health? Right. Um, two things, and that has happened to me as well, and I'm sure every strength coach has probably had to, to kind of address that issue. But um, the first thing is, the coach is always right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's their kids. You have to, you kind of have to defer to them on, on a lot of things. When it comes to a safety issue or something like that, I always, and this is one of my advice to all of our interns and GAs is you always, even though you don't agree with them, you always say to them in a professional manner, I, I understand what you're saying. Professionally, I don't agree with that but we'll, we'll make it work, you know, and, and you obviously have to do what you think is, is right also, but I, I think there's always a medium in there. And I think, you know, in that situation, I can always, um, although they are working with the rest of the group, maybe this, my white group is, is doing kettlebell front squats where the other ones are doing front squats, but they're still that team camaraderie they're still together they're not I don't have them over here doing this and the other group over on the other side doing that so it gives kind of the illusion that they're all doing the same thing and and, and just kind of being being careful in, in the exercises that you choose so that you don't pull them so it doesn't look like you're pulling them away from the other group it's still getting done what you want done and still giving the coach what they want but I think it's really important that as a, especially as a young professional, I had a hard time, you know, agreeing with a lot of things. Cause I, you know, I was a young professional. I knew everything and, and you're going to do it my way and coaches don't know anything. And <laughs> um, I just learned that, you know, they're, it's their, their athlete and I've got to do what I need to do, but it's, but they, they're going to lose their job before I lose my job. You know, somebody gets if their primo athlete gets hurt or something. So, it's, I, I understand what you're saying, coach, and here's why I disagree with you, but if that's, that's what you want, we'll go with that. Have, mm -hmm. you, have you seen a, 
like a, a rush of military style training that sport coaches want to apply in order to build camaraderie or mental toughness or anything like that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think uh, our basketball team brought in somebody that, um, with our former coach, um, kind of like a Navy SEALs kind of thing. But um, I, I haven't seen a huge influx of it in lately, but um, I don't agree or disagree with any of it. I, I think there's, it's a, there's a place as far as motivation and, like you say, camaraderie. And I think there's some – my fear is with Rabdo and, and all that kind of stuff in the, on the forefront of the news that sometimes um, if you either have a, a, a type A athlete who's going to win at everything and be number one at everything, you, you run a risk of – you know, hurting somebody like that, but, but, but also just the camaraderie. And I think there's good ways of, of implementing that kind of training into any program, you know, because um, training leaders, training, you know, getting kids to, to, to be one unit with that group mind, you know, that's, that should be the, the, the main, the main, um, focus of it rather than than breaking them down or or conditioning them do you have any leadership development or special things that you implement in your weight room to develop that or bring that out of the athletes that you know they have yeah so it's um we're reading our staff is reading a book called legacy it's about the um the all blacks um, rugby team um and we we're we're trying to implement um just, just a, a few things that you know, things that we can control uh, while we're while we're putting our kids to our workouts or warm ups or whatever. But you know, just I mean, we don't. It's not um, leadership training or anything like that. But it's it's utilizing the the, the student athletes and the gifts that they've got. Um, we all believe that on our staff that each one of our kids is a leader in some way, shape, or form, and that could be positive or negative. Um, but our part of our role in the hour or hour and a half that we have them is is to to help those those individuals use their leadership skills, whether it's in a small group or with the whole group. And um, I mean, it's simple things as who's who's calling the cadence out, you know, when we're when we're doing a a wall drill or something like that, you know, and making sure that that they learn how to project their voice and that everyone's, when you're not a leader, you're following and um, being respectful of the person who's, who's in, in charge of whatever it is. If they're leading the warm up, um, we try to get it to a point where our student athletes are leading the warm ups um, so that we're not all, you know, we're as long as we've taught them everything we want them to do and how we want it to run, then we, we slowly try to let the reins go on that. Um, but just little things like that. They're not, you know, again, it's not like a big leadership session or anything like that, but um, we do some motivational type things with, with each team. But um, so we've learned a is lot. That, is that practice ahead. for you, Stacey? Is that the, what? The, is, it, is it a new practice for you to inject that for your student athletes or has that always been part of the protocol? Um, it's been a little bit more um, uh, on purpose now. It's, before it was, you know, more of 
the, the team captains should should be doing it all the time and and that's their responsibility but but now we've got i have a um, i have a warm-up leadership team basically so these four guys they're you know once once i i've taught them how i want the warm-up to roll then i let them take over and then we also meet and say hey you know let's let's focus on this today you know make sure you put these interject these things into the warm-up kind of thing so there there's accountability and they feel like they're you know they're leading the team for real yeah i ask because you know there's i guess not to get too off topic but there's the generational gap the millennials Mm -hmm. the i guess wussification lack of leadership (laughs) lots of followers not a lot of chiefs type deal and you know as as a coach, you have a lot of influence on the long-term characteristics of an athlete. I, you know, I was joking with Harry Shaw, who were, you know, we're working out at his gym. I was on a hike with him. He was talking about getting a tattoo and I got this awesome tribal armband, Stacy, that in 1995 would have been killer, but now I just look like a dude. Like I look like an idiot, but I'm like, you know, it kind of represents when I was on top of the world, I had great coaches that were guiding me and, and honestly drilled in a lot of the things that I think make me who I am today mm-hmm. and willing to suffer and grind out and do all this shit. So I'm like, yeah, this is my badge of honor. It's my, it's my tribal armband from 1990. <laughs> but uh, I digress. So what I'm getting at though is, uh, is that kind of the, the motivation behind it is there is a long-term, like you ha- you're, you're, you're building habits for long-term development and success yeah. or student athletes because what percentage of them are going to leave university and get to play their sport for a living, like a slim amount. But as a strength coach, you get to instill those values through simple drills like this. And, you know, are, you're running cadence on wall drill. No, project your voice. Be confident, you know? Right. Yeah, and it's been interesting to see just, you know, the, some of the ones that you thought were leaders on the team and that people were listening to, they get up there and they can't do two things at once. They can't call out a cadence and they can't, dorsiflex their foot and and keep their mind you know or they get embarrassed and and they like you said they don't project their voice they don't really want to be heard but they want to be heard so just and and it's a simple thing but it's it's giving them confidence in, in who they are and to have have 23 other guys listening to you and doing what you tell them to do when they tell them to do it's pretty empowering so and you, you just said dorsiflex, which is <laughs> basically Texas buzzword. Actually, that's a trigger word. It's a trigger. My ears perked up, but yeah. I mean, this. I hear dorsiflex and his eyes glazed over. That's one of his triggers. It's like <laughs> it's like the word like uh, you know the the protesters. So just the word alone just sends them into fury. You know? But I like dorsiflex. His plants are flex. Well, I was going to say, when you hear plantar flexion, then like Texas' eye starts twitching. <laughs> uh, but what we're talking about is pretty high-level coaching. And, and just kind of an amazing opportunity that I get to travel a lot. I get to meet a lot of coaches, and their conversations are a lot of sets and reps. But I, I want to try to get into, all right, how are we going to integrate leadership development? How are we going to have our athletes find their voice? How are they going to practice communicating with their team while still maintaining their dorsiflexion, their position, because guess what? That's a demand of sport Mm -hmm. is you're maintaining your responsibility while still communicating. And uh, like we, we write and talk a lot about this and we just call it mutual accountability. 
in which one, you are accountable for one, your performance, and two, your athlete's performance, and you're holding them to the standard that you are holding to yourself and so on. And it just starts to really, that's what we see really carry off into the field, that swagger, that, that confidence, more so than the squats and the sets and the reps. So uh, it's, it's empowering just hearing you talk about that. And then you are instilling this into your coaches and your athletes so that they can take it on to their next step and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Callie, you have any more questions? Well, I have like a thousand questions, obviously. Uh, but on that subject, Stacy, you ever meet uh, an athlete who's just purely like a good athlete, but just is never going to be a leader and it's never going to, it's never going to be like that standout captain, but you know, fits in very well with team. And it's just, it's not one of those, uh, it's not a personality type where you feel like the effort of pushing them into that role or even trying to educate them or empower them in that way is, is I don't want to say worth it, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't suit them. Right. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, we definitely have a lot of athletes like that. And, and I, um, I think like sport coaches, I think sometimes because they, just because they're the junior or the senior on the team that they should be the leader. And like you said, they just, maybe they don't want to, they don't want to be the voice, you know, but I think it just kind of goes back to your role. You know, if you're, I don't know if y'all ever said that YouTube video on, it was um, in a park and the guy goes out, he's dancing in the park and then nobody's, everyone's just kind of looking at him. And finally one person comes and, and starts dancing with him, and then everybody starts coming. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's not the leader. It's the one who, follows and and to start the movement i think it's called start the movement or something like that yeah i think it was actually luke summers who uh <laughs> was, was there a tribal armband on the left bicep? <laughs> i think so was me. That I look back. <laughs> but just you know sometimes the leader needs that that guy that follow-up guy that that's always going to have your back and sure um, just you know, help you go to the coach when there's stuff going on with the team, just go to the coach and say, Hey, this is what's going on. And then that person go, yeah, we need to do this. You know, um, mm-hmm. so I, I forgot what your original question. That's was. okay. Cause I have more <laughs> questions. That's okay. all right. So, I mean, having worked with so many athletes, uh, so many teams, and I think you're being like far too humble for all your accolades and we can get on to talk about that in a minute, but, um, you know, which, in terms of your experience as a coach, which stand out to you to be like the most validating as a coach? Um, you can also just say this podcast right now. <laughs> this podcast right now. <laughs> yes. Drop the mic. Podcast and strength and conditioning. I think it's. Um, it sounds funny, but it's just the kids that come back and, and with memories, you know, of what, you know, it what couldn't even been. And I'm a Christian and I, and I, I pray with some of my athletes if it's okay with them. And sometimes they'll come back and, you know, they, they just, they were stressed during the workout and I could just tell something's wrong with them. So I've talked to them afterwards and they come back and say, you know, the day you just sat down with me and, and asked me what was wrong was you know I didn't want to talk about it but it meant a lot to me Mm -hmm. things like that I mean that's kind of the the other side of coaching but 
but it is coaching and it is, you know, being, being a leader with those, those kids. And, um, they go through a lot of crap and it's, it's not always like somebody else said, it's not about the numbers all the time and putting up 225 on the, on the squat just because it's testing day, you know, everybody's got good and bad days. And, um, and sometimes you just want to be heard or somebody to listen to you and, so those are the more fulfilling things, but, uh, sure. you know, on the, on the, on the performance side of it, it's, it's those kids that do come in kind of mediocre, but, and maybe they don't become the elite athlete of the team, but they, they get out there and they contribute way more than they thought they were going to, or, or they do put up some good numbers and they're proud of themselves. And, and you just see like somebody else said the swag and they're just, their demeanor is different because, you know, they kind of like weight training now. And, you know, it's not, it's not just, you know, some coach making them big and huge, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. or maybe it is. Well, it, it, unlocked yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it unlocks the possibility of accomplishment, right? So it's like yeah. uh, something that was deemed or they believe, was not obtainable you show through a certain methodology mm-hmm. consistency hard work just listen to your freaking strength coach basically <laughs> right you can <laughs> play that life and and hopefully get similar results sometimes get knocked down but you know that's that's where trying to get some young kids involved with uh, what we do here that's where they always fall you know they like they're not willing to put in the grind they're not mm-hmm. they don't trust that at the end of the grind there's going to be some sort of payoff or learning learning event and uh i don't know i just goes back to like athletics does provide that and i think a, a proper a proper coaching staff and a proper i guess strength and conditioning program too because mm-hmm. i mean think of some of the people who tried to groom who just fell off and it's like well that guy didn't play team sports or uh you know like vice versa shit stuff like that well i mean we, we've also um numerous people that have come in and worked for us and thought that hey you know i'd like to be a strength coach and then all of a sudden they talked to some strength coaches and you know like my favorite was we had a kid interning and we had our summer uh our, our symposium and aaron osmus gets up and he talks about you know that he was an athlete in the grind and like you know like trials and tribulations of being a high level strength coach and uh after what do the kids say he's like i don't think i want to be a strength coach it was that night yeah that that night he called me up he's like i i it's not for me it's not for me i'm not willing to put in that type of work and i'm like well better to find out come with coffee tomorrow (laughs) and it's your last day (laughs) but but like you know you have to always remember not everything's for everybody and um you know the idea of like going in and and uh you know trying to groom somebody in terms of human performance is sometimes i mean very often kind of a thankless job where people don't see the immediate return on investment Um, you know, and everybody's expecting, you know, in this kind of the iPhone generation, what we see is where everything's so immediate. Now you're talking about like, you know, the training we're going to do today is going to lay a groundwork for not next year, but two and three and four years down the road where I need you to be a a top level performer. And I don't think people have the ability to see that vision. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, uh, for me, especially coming in, uh, you know, I played football in college and thereafter and coming in as a young guy, you know, there was this idea that you have to be able to do this amount of work Mm -hmm. so that it can there's a you know stair-stepping effect that I need you to be able to do X by the time you're a you know junior and senior and play and then go on and play you know mm-hmm. after that. So I think it's uh, it's interesting. Just like it seemed very natural to me, but um, it seems kind of hard to explain to people these days. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why. I wonder if it'll get harder too as as coaches um, are younger. You know, well those coaches now have that same mentality where they want those quick results you know, faster, not that coaches don't want that now, but, 
I think, like you said, the this this generations coming up ha are used to that. So do they do they want that immediate, you know, performance? Well, I mean, if you, you think about the the function of weightlifting or training or anything you're doing, it's the idea of driving adaptation. And, um, you know, when I talk about, uh, you know, somebody asked me, they're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, think about evolution on like a longer scale, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you think about driving adaptation within, you know, just a short period of time. I mean, if you, uh, you know, just the example, and I had somebody recently asked me about playing football, they were like, you know, how do NFL players survive those hits? It was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I, if I got hit like that, I would die. How do yeah. guys take those hits day in and day in? I'm like, well, think about this. When I was 13, 14 years old and I put on a helmet and I started hitting, I was hitting against kids that were 13 and 14 and we all lifted weights and got bigger and grew and matured. Mm -hmm. And over the course, like the hits become harder and harder and you mm -hmm. pretty much, you know, uh, almost condition yourself to be able to take them over a lifetime. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. earned in the gym and the training and all these other deals. You didn't just didn't go from like step one at 14 years yeah. old all of a sudden you know, getting hit by a 300 pound, 30 year old man who's trying to kill you. And I'm like, that's the maturation process that you have to be able to go through this evolution. And if you don't, you, you don't prepare yourself. And like, for me, that's the metaphor for training that, you know, if you want to squat 500 pounds, you have to, you know, squat 135. You know, you have to be able to work through the progression of all this stuff. And it takes time. And, you know, and if it's, uh, if you don't follow the right path or you follow, uh, you know, the wrong progression, you know, and you've seen this too, you know, the inappropriate training at the wrong time within an mm -hmm. athlete, you know, life cycle of their training. And all of a sudden they have injury or they it retards growth or, you know, they all of a sudden, uh, you know, stumble and fall. It's almost like things have to follow in progression. And it's uh, trying to explain that to people, I think is, it, it, it's almost like kind of beating your head in the wall a little bit. I mean, we've talked about Well, it's the hack because people believe there's the hack or the, the yeah. pill, right? Yeah, well, that's and the, we, you uh, know, the well, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the biohackers, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll hack this. Yeah, a no, pill for crazy. that? <laughs> yeah. same, same could be said when we're talking about athleticism as coaching development because you're getting coaches that – graduate from college, maybe they go do a grad assistantship and then they're expecting to be getting a job right away versus kind of putting in the grind where you've got to take a few internships. And like Luke, you and I have had the, the conversation about a sense of entitlement and Stacy, I don't know if you're starting to see this with more and more interns as, as you get new kids every year kind of working in, in your system. What's been, what's been that evolution of the coach in terms of, I guess, attitude and willing to put in the long hours that, that, that you've grinded through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just with, um, we, we've gotten to a point where we've got, we have to have the interns sign a waiver that states that they understand that the hours that they put in are for their education, not for um, monetary gain. Um, and to have to put that in writing, it bothers me, but <laughs> you don't want any lawsuits. So, because apparently somebody came back and tried to sue in a, a school because they weren't, they put in all these hours and they got nothing out of it. Well, yeah, you did. <laughs> you got all my expertise. You got to watch all these top level coaches coach. You got to work with athletes, you know, and find out if that's what you want to do as a profession that's that's a gift right there you know and I have had I, I know of one intern for sure um, that after about th 
three, four weeks asked when they could have their own team. And we said, bye-bye. <laughs> so, cause once, once you kind of cross that threshold, it's, you know, it's not going to be a pretty picture after that. So, because they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be disgruntled anyway. So I'd rather they just move on. But for the most part, um, we've kind of, I think because we work so hard as a staff and they see that, that, you know, we're pretty much there most, you know, we don't work terrible hours. Um, but I think they see that it's, it's, there is downtime. There's, there is, there are benefits to working sometimes 12 hours in a day that you do have. May is pretty, you know, relaxed. December is pretty relaxed depending on what teams you have. But I, I think they, um, the interns that we get, I think we weed them out um, as far as when we select them, not once they get there, but just making sure that they, we tell them the real deal, you know, you, you know, put as much work in as you're going to get out of it. And so, you know, it may not be what you want to do professionally, but better to find out now than. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it's such a, it's a self-selecting type, mm-hmm. type thing. I mean, uh, as far as people wanting instant gratification and um, having to sign waivers and um, equating the time that they're actually spending at the gym to uh, some sort of, I don't know, financial um, compensation or something. I mean, I feel like all of that, it's, it's a sort of self-correcting thing. So who cares if we're part of a generation that's very instant gratification because all it's going to do is fine tune, hopefully uh, the people who who are actually in it for the right reasons and who are going to stand the test of time, I hope, because those, those people are going to be ultimately the ones in the higher up position, the, the head strength conditioning positions eventually who, who make it that far, who, who are going to be the most impactful, right? Hopefully that's, that's the goal. Right. Right. And uh, Ron McKeefrey said it amazingly uh, in I think our last episode, but he just, and a coach needs to get to the point where they're finally able to learn. And then that really just kind of struck a chord for me. It's, you know, coaching for five, six, seven years. And finally at that position where I can compare it to all these other programs or base it off principles. Oh, John, I, as soon as Ron said that I made it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to refer to the peanut gallery. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> keyboard, you know, this guy is like, he thinks that the computer is a word processor or something. I don't know. You get Hinton over there. Uh, He's got selective a, learning disorder. Like holding her face, like laughing hysterically. All I can see is her eyebrows. I'm just mouth breathing. <laughs> oh, yeah. My bad. I'm like sitting next to Darth Vader. I keep waiting for him to be like Edward or uh, who is it? Um, uh, Spock. Okay. All right. No, Spock from reason. Star Wars. <laughs> data or data? Yeah. <laughs> Did he Sparks. blow up the uh, the Death Star? Yeah. Death Invader. <laughs> All right. Oh, God. <laughs> Back on track, Kelly. So, Tex, where are we at now? I got we we finally stumped I gotta, you. I gotta do a plug. Oh, well, I got I gotta do a plug for Ronnie McKee for you. Gotta watch his the podcast he did on uh, resumes, writing resumes. Ooh, competing podcast. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are there podcasts? Must well, watch. the fact that it's on resumes. <laughs> I think right. it was off though, wasn't it? 
that's an important yeah, component is. is like understanding how to self promote without sounding like an mm -hmm. asshole and like putting the meaningful information sure. instead of like, uh, you know, the, the things that you think are important that have nothing to do mm -hmm. with your job you're even looking for or yeah. the role that you could play on a team, right? A resume but, is just a collection of Instagram selfies, right? Or am I wrong? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. And tweets. I got it. Kelly, are you getting, are you regularly uh, accepting resumes from people? <laughs> for for oh. it to be my pers my personal assistant. Well, Luke, you missed like, the most. Uh, I uh, not accept any resumes for friends. Well, <laughs> Luke and John, you missed the first minute in which Callie explained what she's been up to, and she's taken <laughs> over the CrossFit football seminar. So she's booking every weekend, selling out. Congratulations. And she needs, she needs assistance. Thank you. You know, what's funny is uh, your intern who told you he couldn't do it anymore at this, at the symposium. I'm not going to say that that was a direct result of my having spent some time with him, but. Did you accept his resume? He, <laughs> he's like, so tell me really how it is. And you're like, he, he's now employed by Hinsman and company. So it's fine. He is and a company. company. <laughs> yes. Stacy had a conversation with a coach in which they said all the training that we do. So an athlete, uh, preseason, in season, all this training, they didn't consider it prehab. And I took the side of, yes, this is prehab. So I'm just curious of your take on all the strength training that you do. Is it preventing injury or what's, what would you, uh, I guess, qualify this as? I love this question. It's, to me, it's um, what I do is is twofold. It's in, help help with performance and hopefully prevent the risk of injury. I, I'm not going to be able to prevent an ACL tear from happening. You know, some things just happen, but I believe that everything that we do, from the warm up to regen sessions to um lifting weights to to conditioning it's it's all rehab or it's all prehab it's all it's all the reason that we do it is so that you, you don't get hurt it's like um we was talking about about taking hits you know that's that's you lifted weights since you were 13 years old that's prehab that's you preparing Injury prevention, hits. isn't that the buzzword, the injury prevention? prevention? Yeah, that's, I mean, what we do is injury prevention, you know. Like I said, we can't stop everything from happening, but, you know, if, if it does happen, if you're prepared, then you can recover faster. Or So, you know, I do use the word prehab for, you know, like prehab shoulder exercises and that kind of thing, but but really every exercise that I do besides that, that's overhead push, you know, pull, whatever, it's all preparing that shoulder to take maximum swings, maximum attempts, you know, for volleyball players, multiple throws for a baseball player. You know, to me, that's all prehab. It's all preventative. So. Yeah. And I've, I've seen uh, Earl Campbell, in his old age and back in his playing days, they did not lift weights because just because mm -hmm. of they thought it would make you kind of slow down. And he was an amazing athlete. But if you look at him now, if he were to take those, if he were to weight train, I, I, I 
I know that he'd be a whole different person right now. Mm-hmm. I, I disagree. I, um, I will say about the training thing, but I think what you have to remember too, when you see old NFL players, the medical treatments that they got and the, um, the knowledge and the drugs that those dudes were given, it was like unconscious, like, those doctors should go to jail like they um like you know me just I mean because you see Jim Brown and uh you know he still moves pretty well and he's an old I mean and I remember actually meeting Jim Brown and talking to him and he's like you know talking about the uppers and uh you know the you know the painkillers and the uppers downers laughers criers screamers I mean like he was like (laughs) yeah I mean you know you know they give you you a puppy full of painkillers and when you drooped out they give you some uppers I mean he's like dude like they had all those guys on cocktails so I think when you see like Earl Campbell and some of those old guys you know those guys played with some pretty horrific injuries and they just basically numbed it up a little Novocaine a little lidocaine so that it stayed longer uh cortisone they would mix in there and they just do like you know localized shots and then just you know pump them full of stuff so I mean, you sent me that thing the other day about Tom Brady, and uh, I was laughing with uh, the article that Tom Brady put out. He's like, I basically skewed the uh, the medical staff and brought in my own people because what they were doing was destroying me. And the thing I'm laughing about is Tom Brady at 39 years old looks younger than he does when he was 22. So either he found the fountain of youth or he's, I mean, who knows what he's taking. I mean, he could be drinking like, you know, I don't know, blood uh, of a uh, unicorn. Yeah, like unicorn blood. <laughs> One unicorn. He's got the one yeah, unicorn that exists some, in dude, IV. Let me tell yeah, you. Her name was, is Giselle, I believe. <laughs> that's right, Callie. I mean, dude, you saw Giselle. She's got three kids, and she still could, like, walks out in, like, the Victoria's Secret. Maybe that's Secret. it. Maybe it is Giselle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom Brady, Giselle? Uh, let, let me tell they're you, vampires I, or something. I, they're I met, vampires. Uh, and, and here's the thing that my wife, my, my wife's a big Atlanta fan, and I, I told her, I'm like, when I played the Patriots, Tom was great, always super nice to me, and we met Giselle. She was nice. Like they were like, and I don't know. Are they the Flanders of the NFL? No, they were really (laughs) like, like the one thing, you know, they always talk about Giselle being like a bigger supermodel. She was honestly like this big. I was like, she's a bigger supermodel. That girl, I was like, I was afraid like a win was going to take her away, but uh, they were always super nice. And I'm like, maybe being nice. Karma. But Tom also had like five lockers and he had a special room where he would get like his treatments and he had a massage therapist. He had like a team of dudes working on him. And, um, I mean, but he didn't go in the medical room. He didn't take any of their painkillers, none of their stuff. And, I mean, I think a lot of the guys that I know that are having problems were the guys that really uh, got pumped full of stuff. He did the tortle shots and a lot of that. So, actually, I was going to say, could you speak a little on that? Have you seen uh, advances in medicine? Because I remember in college, our, tra- uh, our strength coaches were kind of in a weird position, almost at battle with the ATCs and the medical staff. So, the mm-hmm. doctors and the ATCs thought they knew something, and there was always this weird uh, friction between, um, you know, what I call the ankle tapers, the quacks, the doctors, and then the strength coaches. Uh, do you kind of have a good relationship, or have you seen changes, or how does that necessarily play out? Yeah, I think with just the whole student-athlete experience um, genre that, that the NCAA is kind of focused on lately, I think it's the medical industry is really – kind of stepped forward almost and, and said, look, we're in charge. You know, these, these are the things that, you know, we were in charge of basically. And, and so we, I think we, um, when they started putting the student athlete, student, um, oh, what's it called? The student health, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, the uh, student athlete health and wellness, I think is what the NCAA calls it, but they they kind of put all of us into to one 
group as far as we we you guys have to start communicating basically so you know if, if i've got a kid who's who's injured then i need to defer to the trainer and the trainer needs to defer to the to the doctor and so there's it's almost like there's got to be this chain of command because of liability i mean mostly it's sad it kind of comes down to legalities again but um i you know i i firmly believe that if the trainer tells me I can't do something with a student athlete or a movement that, that they shouldn't be doing, that, that that has to have come from the doctor and that they're just telling me what, what the information that I need to know. And I, and from a, a allowability standpoint, I, I have to kind of abide by that and, and not test the limits on it basically. But, um, but I think, at UAB anyway, because we are a medical facility, we we have access to very good medical um, physicians and, and, you know, we've got sp specialists that, that we defer to as well. So we've got back doctors and, you know, so, and it doesn't seem to be a, a big um, head, head or a, um, where it's, uh, <laughs> lost for a word but where you know it's there it's not a a um macho kind of thing or that's just a bad word to use but um it's it's not about the the doctors being right all the time it's it's about finding out the solutions for the kid and get them to the right specialist so that if it's a back issue that you know um that they see the right people basically sorry that was a little Is, uh, <laughs> dr andrews uh, heavily involved in it at UAB? No, um, we are, we go through UAB. So Dr. Um, um, Garth is our main sports medicine and um, Dr. Estes um, through you. Most of those are all through UAB, but um, I think I'm not sure if Dr. Andrews still, he sees a lot of professional guys that come back. But I'm not sure if he has different offices now all over Alabama. And, um, so, so like in, sure in the NFL, when a guy hurt a knee, it was either mm -hmm. Dr. Andrews or Dr. Stedman in Vail, and uh, it was either like one or the other, yeah, those two guys, were, yeah. you know, like, you know, like the, the wizards yeah. of, uh, of orthopedists, mm -hmm. so anything outside of that was, you know, right. you know, goes yeah. to those guys. I just wonder, if, you know, because he's in yeah. Birmingham, I just wonder mm -hmm. if he was involved. Yeah. Rehab in Vail? Holy smokes. <laughs> uh, he's got an office in Boca Raton, too. Oh, my God. He's, he's uh, a smart he's, guy. He's got all his offices in the right places. <laughs> bad, knee, bad knees uh, in both places for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dr. Stedman. So, so the hilarious thing about Dr. Stedman's clinic, um, Steady's clinic was right at the base of, uh, in Vail, like right at the base of the ski slopes. So people wow. literally would tear an ACL. <laughs> Just, and I, I shit you not, because I went there for my knee surgery. I was doing my rehab. A guy tore his knee on the ACL and they carted him down, um, like they, they brought him down in like the toboggan, right into uh, the facility. It's awesome. He got yeah, right onto a conveyor belt and it just <laughs> went. <laughs> Next. They did the surgery within three hours of him tearing his ACL, hadn't even swollen yet. And, uh, uh, but then, and it was, and so like, you know, like just this amazing like facility right at the base of Vail Mountain. And so mm -hmm. I remember being like, God, I wonder where Steady's house is. I mean, it's incredible. And so like the nurse was like, looked outside the window and pointed and there was just like this huge mansion made of glass, like overlooking everything. That's and she's amazing. like, that's his home. And I'm like, you mean the fortress of solitude? <laughs> yeah it's all glass and he it, i mean he lived in the oh, fortress of solitude and i was like god he is superman's grandfather that's how i know yeah no <laughs> nice. 
yeah, I mean, uh, those guys are, you know, the world's best. So, you know, when you're in trouble, you got to call the, the best gunslinger you can. Sick location. That's cool. Yeah. That is. Like, I will have a hot toddy and reconstructive surgery, please. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like the jet you go in bear belt on a stretcher, and then you come out with a hot toddy on again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like part of the chairlift. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Stacy, one thing I did want to educate our listeners on is the the CSCCA. So uh, it's definitely the most comprehensive certification that I've been through. Uh, so I. I'd love to kind of educate them on the mission and the process and, and your involvement with the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I just can't say enough about um, Chuck and Becky Stiggins. They, um, they, I've never been a part of, of anything professionally where I just, I knew that two people had the best interest of strength conditioning coaches. Um, it's it just, you know, every decision that they make, they their their first thought is how will this affect strength conditioning in our coaches and they they truly you know from you know financial decisions to you know what who who are we going to have at the conference you know things like that so but um really right now i i think you know they're we just got our um our accreditation so within the last three years and so now we're in our first cycle of CEUs. And so they, you know, just, that's been a huge undertaking for them. So a lot of their time and effort's been spent kind of finalizing that. And, and now we're on kind of that three-year cycle to, um, so at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel right now. And um, I, I don't know how often accreditation has to happen, but I pray for them next time they have to go through that because it was, it's a very long and enduring process. And, you know, we actually had to change. I don't know when you went through the, um, through the testing, the practical testing portion, but it, we've changed it to be um, much more account. There's an accountability on, on our part as, as administrators of the test to to really um, get what we need to make sure that those those coaches have a basic knowledge of what we're asking and if they were to take their first job whereas before it was um, depending on who you got maybe maybe you got a lot of questions um, during the test or maybe you answered all the questions and now um, let's get to know you kind of thing so it's very much more regimented now and we have specific questions that we have to ask and, and about the program. Um, just as a recap of the, the test, the practical portion of the test is um, nine stations, basically six to nine stations. And part of them are practical as in you demonstrate um, a skill like a power clean or something like that and talk, talk through it. And then their part is you have a week of a program that you write prior to the test and um, there are certain questions that we ask about just to make sure that you can explain what it is that you, how you programmed your, for that particular team or that particular season. So just um, a week I had to, I had to yeah, do so much more. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it was a, it's a, like a preseason or something. And they say kind of break it down into one week or something like that. So. Yeah, it was uh it was definitely a lot of fun. I'm, I'm all about those, those challenges. Um, and, uh, interesting in that we got to kind of go into 
an open room and we went and picked our table. And so I recognized uh, just a couple, couple badass coaches. So I went and just tried to see how I, I favored against the best in the biz. So mm-hmm. I definitely had a lot of fun. And then the rest of the, the conference, it was really just kind of hang out and network. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool that, you know, it's, it's all strength coaches that are doing exactly what you do on a day-to-day basis. Some of them have been in it like me for 25 years. Some are just starting, but the great thing about the conference is you can stop mad dog or, you know, uh, Mickey Marathi and, and they'll stop and they'll, they'll talk shop with you. You know, there's no, there's no hierarchy of, you know, Ooh, don't talk to that person. He's, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's nothing's top secret. We all steal from each other and <laughs> we, and we implement it our own way. And that's just the nature of our business. And um, there's very few people that actually create something and, and call it their own, you know, so we're, that's basically what we're doing. So, yeah, Tech, our, so, so different from your seminars that you lead that are so militant and you're like a dictator and nobody can speak directly looking at you. And <laughs> well, Tex also claims to invented the ring pushup. So <laughs> oh, okay, it's the ring handstand yeah, pushup. I remember when Tex was going through the process. I mean, he, it, it seemed pretty elaborate and uh, again, had nothing but good things to say. So, I mean, um, we're in we're embarking on our mission to try and educate people and uh and contribute to creating better coaches and and facilitating safer ways to train for athletes and and everything that we talked about here but uh, if people want to learn more about the cscca where you know where would you point them i just point them to their website the www.cscca.org and And that's it got it all laid out there you guys don't got like a crazy snapchat channel or anything you know, I think there is oh, I I think get, there's a Twitter account, but oh, well, that's good. that's a start. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody Twitter tweets anymore, but <laughs> just the president. Yeah. School, so. just the, <laughs> yeah, just the president. Oh, dagger! <laughs> they do have a lot of videos and that kind I of. Think thing. It, I think it's about that time, Stacy. Is there anything else you wanted to cover while we uh, while we're I guess wrapping up here or no? Gosh, I just uh, um wanted to give my staff kudos. I've got a great staff. Um, when I kind of took over as the, the director, you know, I, after 20 something years, I figured out I can't do it all by myself. And I think um, when people know what their, what their role is, there's a lot more accountability and these guys have taken off and just, they are total pros at what they do. Stuart Young is my education coordinator. Blake Klotz is our uh, facilities and, um, um, he just and and our equipment guy. He's just on top of getting us the latest and greatest type things. My sports science guy, um, Adam Snow, and uh, my mental health and conditioning um, coordinator is uh, Adam Loftus. And so, and we got a great group of interns right now that hopefully we'll get them jobs soon. And, um, but I just want to give them some kudos because they're. They they make me look good, way better than I am, and and I learn from them every single day. And if you ever, when you hire people out there, just hire people better than you because it'll only make you a better coach too. And then take all the credit. And then take all the yeah, credit. Right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, hey, Stacy, thanks so much, guys. And listen, Power Athlete listeners, go check it out. If you want to become a better coach, CSCCA is one of the road stops, right? So, Callie, anything else? Text anything else? 
Jay Welly. That's it. And that's a wrap. Thank you. Thanks guys. Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks, Stacey. You're welcome. Nice to meet y'all. Ready. Bye. 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 (laughs) Now it's time for you to empower your performance. To learn more about the CSCCA and their CEU accreditation program, head to www.cscca.org. There you'll find tons of vetted training resources and even internship and career opportunities. And it may have been a while since I've been on the podcast, but some things you just don't forget. Do do not forget, Callie, uh, we are the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. It's true. It's it's tattooed on my lower back. How can I forget? (laughs) Right next to your... uh, uh... Ooh, and we are out of time. Until next time. Bye.